This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. anyone to think that um, I'm being too harsh but the fact of the matter is many of us in this room don't mean what we just sang it's easy to sing something like that when life is okay when there's no cost that I'm actually giving of myself. When the waters aren't troubled. It's comfortable in this building. We've made it so comfortable for you. The lighting, the comforts of AC. You're not sitting on a rock outside with ants biting at you. Mm -mm. You are quite comfortable. And so for us, it's, I can sing that. I don't walk out of these doors ready to be arrested or persecuted. So I could, I could sing that. There's no cost to sing the song. But let me tell you, church, if we don't surrender all, we do not have salvation. He cannot be just Savior without being Lord. It doesn't exist. There is no biblical text to support. I just want him to be my Savior, but I'm not ready for him to be Lord. Just ask the first century believers. To follow him meant everything. Lord and Savior. 
He owns me. How? He purchased me with his blood. The cross signifies that Jesus has the right to be Lord in our lives. And so the question that this sermon is really going to poke at today, is he truly Lord? Or is that just a title that we say in, in our prayers? Lord, I come to you. We just, it's just a title. He's, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? That's not my words. That's the words of the master. And so I hope you can get through this entire service not thinking about so-and-so need to hear this. But at the edge of your seat saying, I need to hear this. I need to examine my heart. I need to examine my ways. I don't know if I'm fully surrendered to him. I, be honest, he already knows. We don't have to sugarcoat. I hope we're, we're living in a day, you know the enemy don't sugarcoat with you, right? We're living in a day, we just gotta say what he says and do what he says, amen? So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your word will go forth like piercing sword into our hearts, into our minds, into our lives. Lord, we do not want casual Christianity. We're not here for our own comforts and convenience. Lord, we want to be chiseled by the word of God. We want to be transformed by the word of God. We want to be changed by the word of God. Lord, we're not here to be entertained. We're here to be convicted by the power of your truth. So Holy Spirit, illumine the word to our hearts today. Transform our minds today so that the way we came in is different than the way we go out. And if you believe that church, can somebody say amen? Amen and amen. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. I said, this is not going to be an exciting message. That's okay. <laughs> I want to, before we jump in, I, I, I want to acknowledge those that are watching online. Um, this is a pretty full room for those of you that are watching online. This is going to be a, um, probably a piercing message. I believe all the messages that we give is piercing. Sometimes the personality that comes with that message makes it a little harsh. And so I, I'm not trying to be harsh. Please hear my heart. When Jesus bid me to follow him, I was 21 years old. I know I look 21. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was 21 years old when Jesus bid me to come after him to follow him. And uh, it wasn't, I think maybe at 19, the Lord was, was tugging at my heart in New York. I would hear those street evangelists and 
when I was on the train going to school, I would, they would come on the train and they would preach and it wasn't appealing. It just didn't like, why are we shouting? I know some of you are saying that about me today, but um, <laughs> why are they shouting on this train? And um, then a lady came to me, God bless her heart. Her name is Molly. And she said to me, Nadine, the Lord is after you. I was probably, it was right before I went into prison. And uh, I said, no, that's not for me. I said, I don't want to live like that. That's, that's just not my, my path. And she said, uh-huh. She did one of these. Oh, really? And I said, yeah. About two years later in the prison cell, that same Lord that she had talked to me about came and visited me in that cell. To bid me to come and follow him. This time I had a different posture. My heart was bent. I was in a needy position because I had tried everything and nothing worked. This time the Lord was saying, taste and see that I'm good. And in 1995-96, I tasted and truly he was good. Throughout the years, there has been segments of my life where God was calling me to come up higher. And every segment that God was calling me to come up higher, more of Nadine had to die. I couldn't come up into the more that he had for me if Nadine was still in the way. And so his invitation for me, for me or for you, it sounds good. Come up higher. Come into your more. Come into your Rehoboth and all of that. For Jesus is come and die. You still, there's still attitude, there's still arrogance, there's still ego, there's still pride. You still have prejudice and racism and, and all these things that, that is not indicative of me. And so I need to crucify that. And so every step I took was more of Nadine being peeled off. And listen to the day of Jesus Christ returning. There will be more of you and I that need to be peeled off. I love this uh, sermon series that we're in for the spiritual growth campaign. I, I hope that you are enjoying it. I told PT, um, I think it was yesterday or a few days ago. Amen. Give it up for those that were involved, that heard from the Lord to, to do this um, series. I love it because it's, 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 it's really getting down to what are we about as believers? Are we really in Christ or are we not? Is, is Jesus a Santa Claus? Do I just come to him and rub the genie bottle and a genie comes out to grant me my three wishes? Have we made Jesus into a caricature, into an ATM machine that you 
put your, your debit card of wants into him and just give me this and give me that. And it's what I want from Jesus. I think we have made Jesus into this thing that we just demand of him and he's supposed to give to us. Christianity has nothing to do with that. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that once you and I were wretched, we were blinded, church. We were dead in our trespasses. We were far removed from God and God so loved. It's not just that God loved. He so loved you and I that he would choose to send his only begotten son, not so that you can get a car. Mm -mm 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 -mm. I know, I know, I know. It's not so that you can get a nice house. It's so that you might have life. Because you can have the car, you can have the nice house, and not have life. That is the good news that you didn't even earn it. You didn't work for it. He gave it to you, wretched man, woman that we are, freely. And it's up to us to respond. I know I haven't even gotten into this message yet. We're in week four of our sermon series. Pastor Tom, thank you for allowing me to, to be able to bring forth this message today. I appreciate the trust. Um, I love your senior pastor, my senior pastor. He's just, and I'm not just saying that. I, I love his heart. He and I were praying before I came out. And, and just his heart for seeing truly us live out what God has invited us to live out. He's truly a shepherd. He has a shepherd's heart for the people of God. You may have a lot of preachers, but you don't have a lot of shepherds. Shepherds are people that care for your soul. They actually care about your well-being. They care that you're being established in Christ. You're being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, some people, some pastors, shepherds, quote-unquote, they just care about your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. But we have pastors that actually care about who you are in Christ Jesus. And so this sermon series, I'm, I'm grateful again for him trusting me to, to give the week four's message um, it's a powerful sermon series. If you've missed any week, just go back on our YouTube page and watch the weeks that you have missed. I encourage you to be a part of the life group discussions because now in the life group, you get to unpack, extrapolate, um, ask the questions, apply the questions of what was preached, what is being discussed. You get to actually do as the Bereans that the Bible calls them. They actually went back and searched out the words of Paul. That's what we're meant to do. You're not doing that here. That's why it's important for you to be in a life group. And it's not too late. So we're in uh, week four of this sermon series uh, entitled Established. Being established in Christ to the point that we are walking in the ways of Christ. 
with the mind of Christ. Last week, we looked at our emotions being established in Christ. The week before that, we looked at our thoughts being established in Christ. And both of these have to be informed by truth, God's truth. Today, what we're going to unpack is our will. You could not unpack the will because the thoughts and your emotions informs or influences your will and what God expects of your will and my will. The memory verse for this week's, which really supports where I'm going in today's sermon, the memory verse is found in John chapter 6, verse 38. I believe they're going to have it on the screen for you. I want us to look at this memory verse. This is what Jesus said. For I have come from heaven or come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me not to do. All right, we're going to do that last part again. I'm going to read the first part. You're going to read the last part. Okay. For I have come from heaven, come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me. Let's say that again. When Jesus was on his way to Galilee, he passed through Samaria. Matter of fact, he said, I must go through Samaria. His disciples went on ahead of him and Jesus stayed back at a well. While at the well, he ministered to a woman that we call the Samaritan woman. The disciples went into the city to buy food because they had just finished doing an extensive ministry to ministry to thousands of people and they were famished. Upon coming back, they see that Jesus is still ministering. So he's ministering to this woman at the well and they said to him, Master, you haven't eaten. To which Jesus replied, I have food to eat that you know nothing of. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus never deviated from that path. That was his course, church, from the time he arrived to the time he was ascended into the, into the heavens. You know what's fascinating about Jesus is not just that he did the will of the Father. What's fascinating about Jesus is that he did the will of the Father and nothing else. That's all he ever did was the will of the Father. Today's message is entitled, A Surrendered Will. Can we pray? Father, cause your will to become our food. May we hunger for your will, God. May we purpose with singleness of heart to surrender our will over to your will so that we will not do our own will, but we will do yours. I pray that your word will be light to our path today. Let it be seed sown into the hearts of every person that hears it. And may it take root, bearing fruit, 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name, amen. In God's sovereignty, he created mankind 
with a will to choose. He gave us what is called free will. He could have created us as robots to only do what he makes us to do, but then our devotion would not be genuine. It would be forced. It would be controlled. So you and I have the ability to choose to obey him or not. To choose to love him or not. Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. As we know, Adam and Eve exercised their free will to choose. However, they chose to rebel against God and God's instructions. They chose their own will over God's will. They chose self rather than God. Nothing has changed in 2022. Just two chapters later, God said to Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And sin desires to have you, in other words, sift you, but you must rule. You must master over it. Genesis 4, 7. But sin did master. And sin did rule over Cain. As feelings of jealousy influenced Cain's decision to kill his brother. Emotions, jealousy, nothing has changed. What is the will? The will is the function of choosing. It is the faculty of the mind by which we determine either to do or to forbear, not do, an action. It is to exercise a decision. The will, it is influenced by our thoughts, by our emotions, by our passions, by our habits, by our impulses, by our feelings. When these aren't aligned and shaped by God's truths, it leads to negative impact on our will. The will, the seat that chooses. There's a constant internal battle to have your will be done as opposed to God's will being done. And the truth is it's very difficult to choose God's will over ours. We want to do what we want to do. We want to live life the way we want to live life. We, we don't want God's way governing our way. Let's be honest. Uh, your will, this side of eternity, will never be perfected. It must be yielded. Our will. It takes a yielded will to choose the shepherd's way over your own way. A will that says at the highest crossroads, when I don't want to, when I, when God is leading me to do something, but I don't want to do it. And it's at that peak of the crossroad that your will must choose to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We tend to applaud the will of God. 
We tend to read about the will of God, sing about the will of God, even fight about the will of God. But the bottom line is this. You cannot move into God's will without releasing your own. And we don't want to release our own wills. The key to releasing our will, church, and aligning it with God's is found in an ongoing process called surrender. You're not going to do the will of God without surrendering to God. You may, you may make it sound good. You may sing the songs. But it's those times when this means so much to me, Abraham. This is the son that I've been waiting for, God. Isaac, the promised seed. And now the promise giver asks for the promise back. What do you do in those places when God is asking you to do something you don't want to do? How do you ration with a person who has their mind bent in going in a, in, in a pathway of destruction? There has to be a place of surrender. Here's what surrender means. To cease resistance, to submit, to agree to stop fighting, to stop hiding, and stop resisting. Oswald Chambers, the great evangelist from the 1800, describes it this way. He says, true surrender is not simply surrender of our external lives, but it's an entire surrender of our will. The greatest crisis we ever face, he says, is the surrender of our will. Yet God never forces a person's will to surrender. He never begs a person to surrender. He patiently waits until that person willingly yields to him. And once that battle has been fought, it never has to be fought again. Surrender is a battle term. When, a, when an opposing army surrenders, they lay down their arms to the winner that's taken control. Surrendering to God works the same way. God has a plan for our lives, which is good, according to Jeremiah 29, 11. And surrendering to him means we set aside our plans, we set aside our ways, we set aside our lives for the life that God has for us. Our will being totally and fully surrendered to God is a process. Peter at first is running because they had just arrested Jesus and he's fearful. And so in self-preservation, he runs and he deserts Jesus. But then years later, it's the same Peter that scholars tell us says, do not Execute me, crucify me the way of Jesus. Crucify me upside down because I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. He didn't start off there. He was running because a, a young girl says, you look like one of them that was with him. And now all of a sudden this same Peter is living such a surrendered life that he faces execution willingly for his Lord. Surrender is a process, church. You don't just get saved and all of a sudden you're willing to die for Jesus. 
I want to talk about the four process processes of the surrendered life. A will that has to, if we don't get this aspect of our Christian journey to live a full out surrendered life for Jesus, you will never live at the extent that God created you to live. You will never have life experience life more abundantly. You will never see the greatness that God wants to utilize your life to do in this earth. You will only live haphazard to the potential you were able to live. The surrendered life is necessary for a transformed life. Amen? The process of a surrendered will. Surrender. It's the initial uh portion of this process to consent to God's supremacy in all things surrender the sovereign one the omnipotent one the omniscient one the creator must have preeminence over every aspect of your life over your thoughts, over your attitude, over unforgiveness, over ego, over that difficulty in your parenting, over your time, over your tongue. He must have supremacy in these areas and every area of your life. You don't control you. I was speaking to my girlfriend yesterday and she was sharing with me that she was in her emotions over the, over the weekend. She was, she, was, she was having a, you know, we go through our stuff, right? So she was having a moment. And, you know, the Lord was wrestling. We was wrestling that thing inside of her. But sometimes we don't want to yield it. We just want to sit in it. We just want to have a pity party in our emotions. Pastor Tom talked about that last week. You missed it. You need to go back and watch it, okay? So we want to pity. We want to, we want to console. We want to, we want to stroke the emotion. Even though the emotion may not be indicative of Jesus Christ and his truths for us, we just want to wallow in it for a while. Cause why? I don't want to deal with, you know, offering this emotion up to, it takes too much. So I'm going to sit in it. And the Lord is calling, inviting her out of that emotion. So she comes and she drives by this lady. A lady is selling flowers. She drives by the lady. And the Lord says, you know, to go stop and buy the flowers. She's like, well, I don't need flowers. Why am I stopping to buy these ladies for flowers? So she says she drives off. And that thing wouldn't stop. The Holy Spirit, I'm talking about a surrendered life. The Holy Spirit is gnawing on the inside of her. So she's already, already driving. She turns back around and goes to the lady. She gives the lady... <laughs> I'm going to tell you the amount, okay? She gives the lady $50. I don't know what kind of flower costs $50, but the Lord told her to give her $50. So she gives it to the lady, right? Hopefully her husband is not mad at her right now, but anyway. So she grabs the lady's hand. The lady is, you know, you know a little taken aback, and she begins to pray for this woman. The woman begins to weep and weep. They begin to pray and she ministers to the woman. When she gets back in the car, she begins to weep. As she realizes that what God used her to do in that woman's life was also for her. The emotions that she was sitting in is no longer there. That thing was that was trying to rob her is no longer there. Why? Because she chose to surrender. Surrender is not for God. Surrender is for you and it is for me. 
So we must learn in this stage to surrender to God. This is the initial, initial surrender as we, after we have responded to salvation. This stage is an act of giving back to Jesus the life he gave you. It's relinquishing control, your time, your rights, your emotions, your power, all the things that you do and say you are releasing it to him. It's your total life resigned to Jesus Christ. This surrender is more than a decision that you make at an altar. <laughs> mm -mm. This is an ongoing daily decision. This friend was already saved, but she has to make an ongoing daily decision to surrender. Surrender my rights, surrender my ways, surrender my emotions, surrender my thoughts, surrender what they did, what they said, what I think. I'm surrendering all. It's not a song. We got to live that. When he asks you to surrender, I don't want you watching that TV show anymore. That Netflix series is taking all your time. Abandon it. Oh, but I'm six weeks in. Like, I want to see what happens. You've been, you're invested. That relationship, that's toxic. But Lord, I've been in it for three years. I surrender all. Remember that song? That's God should actually say that to us. I thought you were just singing that. I surrender all. What happened to that? Well, it was just a song in the moment, Pastor Charles. They sounded good. I surrender all is a daily decision to surrender all to Jesus. The life of the disciple of Jesus is an ongoing life of surrender. And it's only in that way that we experience transformation. The more we surrender, the more our old self dies. <laughs> And it is replaced with Christ-likeness. Old things are passed away and all things become new. That doesn't happen without surrender. Oh, we, that's all y'all going to hear from me today. Is surrender. Well, why? Why, why we got to talk about it? Because we're not doing it. Can you say that you surrender all? Not the song. I'm talking about in real life. She said something to you. He said something to you. The coworker, the, you're just not surrendering all in your words, in your speech, even in your thoughts. Paul had been a Jesus hater, self-righteous persecutor of believers. He was a man of great self-will and ambition. He was on his way up. He was a, a Jew of a Jew, the Pharisee of Pharisee. He was zealous among the Jewish leaders. He was on his way up and in control of his destiny. He was the captain of his ship until the Lord made this self-made, self-determined, self-righteous man, made him a glowing example of what it means to live a surrendered life. After Paul surrenders to God, he became one of the most God-dependent, God-filled, God-led people in all of history to the point that you're reading a third of the New Testament scriptures that he penned. This man that was a persecutor, here's what he says in 1 Timothy 1. Even though I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with faith and love that's in Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
This is what this man says about himself. What makes one surrender to this place? The love of God. Paul said, I experienced something that I was unworthy of. What makes you surrender? When you realize what God has done for you. When you realize how God has redeemed you. When you realize that God is not angry at you. When you realize that God didn't leave you in the pit of your sin. When you realize that God kept coming after you and coming after you. After you messed up and messed up over and over again. After you said you wouldn't do it, but you did it again and again. And the mercy of God was renewed to you every morning. Great is thy faithfulness toward me and I'm undeserving of it and when I think about that y'all hearing me today when I think about his goodness when I think about his mercy when I think about his love that he could have left me in the miry clay that he could have left me at the bottom of my sin but the goodness and the mercy of God knelt down into my situation and pulled me up put his spirit on the inside of me cleaned me turned me around put a microphone in my hand and say now preach about what I've done can somebody say amen Church, when you realize what he's done for you, I feel like I'm going to cry in this place, Pastor Tom. When you realize what he's done for you, Paul said, I was a blasphemer. I was a Jesus hater. I was having the saints killed. But he came after me. And now... I get to tell people about this love, this merciful God that we get to serve. That is what makes you go to your knees in surrender. The invitation here in surrender is to taste and see that God is good. The next stage, I got to try to push through. The, The next stage of surrender after that initial surrender This is the stage that most Christians are not. It's called abandonment. The stage of abandonment. It means to forsake all else in pursuit of Jesus. To be abandoned to God serves to describe the totality and the extent of your devotion. It's not just in word, it's in action. Apostle Paul said it this way, but whatever were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I gave up all things. I considered them garbage that I might gain Christ. Philippians 3, 7 to 8. Our devotion in this stage is no longer casual. It's not convenient. It's not, I'm giving up a TV show. It's not, okay, I'm giving up, I don't know, to turn around my car and and go speak to this woman. That's surrender, but what he's after in this stage is total abandonment. It means sacrifice. This stage is no part of myself is being withheld from God. This stage, you release your grasp. 
There is no denying. There is a denying of self, a picking up my cross. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. This surrender covers life. It's not just things that I do. I'm surrendering my entire being. I'm abandoning myself to God to do not my will, but for God's will to be done in my life. This abandon is Esther. If I perish, I perish. This abandonment is the three Hebrew boys. My God is able to save us from this fiery furnace, but even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship you. This abandonment is Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. This abandonment is Paul. My life is no longer mine. The life I live now, I live for Jesus Christ. This abandonment is Moses. If you don't go with me, I don't want it. You understand this abandonment? Is she, it's Jesus or nothing at all. Most Christians are not here. We still want our way. It's Jesus, but a little bit of everything else. We often struggle with this level. Why? Because we think if we take our hands off, God won't catch us. We have an issue with trust in this stage. We see us as letting go, but we can't see God's physical hands coming in to catch me if I let go. So I'm struggling, God, to let go because I'm not sure if you're able. That's this stage. We struggle with if I give up what God is telling me to give him, if I abandon my entire life, it means that I won't have a life to live. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It's Peter who abandons his fishing knowledge and frustration to throw his nets on the other side of the boat to catch such a catch that his nets begin to tear. But the enemy wants you to believe that if I give up, then I won't have nothing. The Lord is trying to tell us that if you give up, you will have everything. Because you cannot have life without first dying. You want to live true life? He says, he who saves his life will lose it. But he who gives his life will save it. It's the little boy who abandons his lunch of five loaves and two fish to the master. We're talking about abandon. Only to see 12 baskets remaining. It's Hannah who prays for a son. God finally gives it to her and she gives it back to God. And God gives her five more children. This is this stage. I abandoned everything for him. My pursuit. Listen, church, myself included. I'm writing this sermon. I'm saying, God, I'm not here. You, you know what we do? We dip in. We have moments where we're there. But God is not looking for a dip in. He's looking for you to abide. What does that mean? Remain. Stay. Constant. Continue. 
we dip in with God. The invitation for us here is to abandon our controls by taking our hands off of ourselves and fall unconditionally into the hands of God. That's abandonment. The next stage, I'm so out of time, is contentment. To become satisfied in who God is, not merely what he does. As we experience increased abandonment to God's will in all areas of life, contentment begins to settle in our hearts. I've surrendered, I've abandoned all for Jesus, and now I'm living in a place of contentment. But we tend to think of contentment as I have this food and I'm going to be contented with the little that I have. I have this house. It's, it's, it's fairly nominal. I'm going to be content with the house that I have. I have this job. I, I mean, it's okay, but I'm going to be content with the job that I have. But that's not what this is talking about. Contentment here is not only are you content with the things that you have, you are content with the decisions that God makes concerning your life. So Paul prays three times. Take this thorn from me. Three times he prays. There was never a fourth time. Why? I'm content. The thorn is to remind me to remain humble. He's content with the decision that God has made over him. Even when it's a decision that I don't really like. This thorn, God, this, this situation that you have me in, God, this circumstance, this, this job that you're telling me to stay in or telling me to leave or whatever it is, I don't like it. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. And you now have to become content in God's grace that is sufficient for you when he doesn't change the circumstance. Do you see this level that we have to graduate to? We can't skip it. It's surrender. It's abandonment. And now I'm living in contentment. To be satisfied in all circumstances of life. I'm content in the decisions of God concerning me. I'm trusting his heart even when I don't understand his ways. I choose to believe that truly, Nadine, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and called according to his purpose. Romans 8, he has me in little, he has me in much, he's my peace, he's my joy, he's the contentment, not the circumstance. My contentment is not in things, my contentment is in him. This is what we've been missing. We thought it was about tangible things. And God says, no, I am your portion. We thought it was about God, give me joy. He says, I am joy. God, give me peace. I am peace. You have to abide in me so you can get the joy. You can get the peace. You can get the satisfaction. But you keep looking for it in things. Contentment, I think. Thank you, Sean. I got one person. Hallelujah. No, I'm just joking. I'm almost done, guys. Gratitude and joy are now consistent in my life. I'm resting in the Prince of Peace. In this stage, let me tell you what goes in this stage. You're mumbling and complaining. Did you ever hear Paul complain after he said God's grace was sufficient for his thorns? You never heard about it again. That's why people speculate what the thorn was. 
He never talks about it again. He just got to the point where if God said it concerning me, I'm resting in that. Let's go. Let's keep moving, God. What's the next assignment, God? But we mumble and we will do for the Lord. But all while we're doing for the Lord, our hearts are not right. We're mumbling. We're complaining. We're being antagonistic. We're, be, we're, we're, we're allowing the enemy to squelch our joy and our peace. And so you say, well, at least I'm doing it. No, God wants your heart, not your feet. Because we could do it with our feet, but our heart is in total rebellion towards God. No wonder he says, man looks at the outside, but he, he looks at the heart. Paul says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever my circumstance. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul is not complaining, his tone is confidence. Whether the circumstance change or not, I am confident, not in my circumstance, I'm confident in my God. The invitation here is in contentment is to live in a constant state of gratitude. Gratitude. The final phase is participation. Participation is to cooperate with God in accomplishing his will here on earth. We see that with Noah. We see that with Esther. We see that with Peter. We see that with Mary, Jesus' earthly mother. Participating in God's will now becomes your aim. Again, this requires a surrendered will. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. In this stage, I am no longer a spectator of God's will in the earth. I am a participant. I am playing a role. We now desire to accomplish and cooperate to accomplish God's will in the earth. We are now in sync with his activity for our lives and with our lives. Jesus said, I came to do the will of the father who sent me. He had a singleness of heart concerning mission. Jesus says, I must go through Samaria, mission. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to be a ransom, mission. He says, you don't take my life, but I lay it down, mission. The invitation here for us is to become yielded instruments in the hands of God. It's Ephesians 2.10, that you are God's handiwork. You're his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good work before the earth began. Are you doing the good work? Are you cooperating? Are you yielded to the plans of God, the will of God, not just for your personal life, but in the earth? So what my friend did yesterday, God wanted to minister to this woman. You know what God showed that woman? I see you. The woman was in a state of depravity for whatever her situation was. And God used the woman that don't even know her to circle her car around so that God can show to this woman, El-Rohi sees you. You're not alone. I have you. I know the circumstance. I know the situation. I'm going to send a stranger, a ram in a thicket. 
the ravens that he sent for Elijah. I'm going to send someone to bless you. And it's not them blessing you. I am blessing you through them. That's cooperating with God. That's being about God's business. The invitation here is to become his yielded instrument. The process of surrender is an ongoing process. There are times that we're doing great in abandonment and then we have to go back to the place of surrender. God isn't mad. His grace is sufficient for that. As long as we're in this pursuit of surrender to our God, the Holy Spirit is your helper. He equips you, he empowers you to move along in the stages of your surrender. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit won't make you do anything. You must surrender to his prodding, to his nudging, to his conviction, to his wooing, to his drawing. I have to choose to surrender to him. You may think this is unreachable. Pastor Nadine, this is unattainable. Like no one can do what you're saying to do, this level of surrender. You might be right, but here's what Ephesians 3.20 says, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. It's not merely dependent on you. You have the one that is able, dwelling on the inside of you, enabling you to do what on your own you cannot do. I want to give you four practical steps of we have to be able to cultivate a pathway for the surrendered life we cultivate it by by um pulling in or adopting principles or um disciplines in our life to help us in this process of surrender these four things that I'm going to mention, it's not an exhaustive list of, dis of, of, of uh, disciplines that we need to adopt in our lives as believers, but these four things will definitely help you as you move along the pathway of surrendering to God. You adopt these four principles or practical um, disciplines that you can uh, adopt into your life, and it just makes the surrender process easier. Not easy, but easier. The first of these spiritual disciplines is solitude. Cultivating solitude in our lives. What is solitude? Solitude is the discipline that calls us to consciously pull away from everything else in our lives, including the company of other people, human activity, for the purpose of giving our full and undivided attention to God. Solitude is not isolation. Solitude is time that I'm spending alone with God. I'm pulling away from the busyness of life. The things that robs me, that distracts me, social media, TV, games, phone, people. When we practice solitude, we step out of the noise so that we can attune to the still small voice of the Father. We're always going, we're always busy, we're cooking and we're... We're, we're, we're listening to something, we're doing homework, but the TV is on, we're, we're reading, but music is on. We have become accustomed to noise. And God will not compete with the noise that you allow in our, your life and in my life. 
And so we must cultivate this principle in our life, this, this discipline in our life called solitude. No major person in the Bible didn't have solitude. Jacob to Elijah, Moses to Paul, all of them spent time in discipline of solitude. Even Jesus, here's what the Bible says in Luke 5, 15 and 16. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place, and there he prayed. If Jesus needed solitude, how much more do we not need solitude? This is about ceasing from human activity and leaning into the Father. How? You may want to start off with five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where it's just you and God. Put away the phone, put away the distractions, whatever. Maybe it's on your lunch break. I remember when I was working in the business office many, many years ago, and I had this car without no AC. And I'd go in that little hoopty, sweating like I am right now, and I would go with my Bible and I would just be in that hot car. And, you know, we live in Florida, so you roll down the window and there's hot heat just. But it was me and the Lord. And that was my time of solitude on my little lunch break, my little 30 minute. That's what they gave me, PT. They gave me 30 minutes. My little 30 minute lunch break I will use. You may want to use a, a beach. You go to the beach and just sit at the shore and just take in his, his glory. He, look, he created that for you. You may just want to take a walk. Let that sun hit your face. There's so many ways that we can practice solitude. But the truth is many of us are not comfortable alone with God. Because we're so used to the busyness of people and things in our lives. The next solitude I want to push on is fasting. We took our survey, you all answered questions, and it was good to see that, no, it wasn't good to see, that a lot of you don't fast. That's concerning. We, we, fasting has to be a regular rhythm in our lives. What is fasting? Fasting is to abstain from food for the sake of intense focus and pursuit of God. In Matthew 6, 16, Jesus says, and when you fast which depicts that he expected his followers to fast, as he did. Fasting is essentially and primarily an act of worship before God. We do it for him and him alone. Whenever there is an agenda of you trying to look holy, you're fasting out of tradition, you're fasting out of religion, it's empty. And that fasting is just a diet, just call it what it is. It's not biblical fasting. Like no other spiritual discipline, fasting reveals the other things that you have pledged allegiance to in your heart. Fasting shows you your idols. Fasting shows you the things that are in you that are selfish. It exposes your desires. The practicing of the discipline of fasting is a way to deny yourself. And if we can start this practice in fasting, when other things come up in our lives that we need to deny, it will be easier for us to deny. Why? Because we practice the art of denying ourselves through fasting. You can fast to seek Jesus. 
Ezra, they fasted for strength. And Judges, they fasted for guidance. In 2 Chronicles, they fasted for deliverance. In, uh, in, in the New Testament, we see that people fast for humility, overcoming temptation, for the work of God. Fasting needs to be a daily, or I would say monthly. For some people, okay, quarterly part of our lives. Worship. So the discipline of solitude, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of worship. I'm almost done. Human response to the overtures of love from the heart of the Father. That's worship. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Psalm 96. While worship involves more than music, it definitely includes music. As we focus our minds and hearts towards God, as we sing unto him, worship is an opportunity to reflect on, on God's goodness, on his person, on his will. During worship, we sing unto him from hearts that adore him. The discipline puts our hearts and our wills before a God who is alone worthy. I want to attack something. I know I've been attacking all morning, but in that rhythm, let me keep attacking. Let me say a few things about worship. Worship, the centrality of worship is in spirit and in truth. Forms of and rituals do not produce worship. Y'all hear that? Forms and rituals do not produce worship, nor does the disuse of forms and rituals. We can use all the right techniques, use all the right methods and instruments, but if we have not worshiped the Lord in spirit and in truth, where our spirit is touching his spirit, we have not worshiped God. We sang a few songs. Singing, praising, all may lead to worship, but worship is more than that. Our spirit must be ignited by the divine fire which is the Holy Spirit. As a result, we need not to be so overly concerned with the question of correct form of worship. The issue of fast or slow, this form or that form has nothing to do with worship. Fast songs, slow songs, it doesn't matter. As long as we are worshiping in spirit and in truth, nowhere does the New Testament prescribe a particular form for worship. In fact, what we find in the New Testament is that there is freedom and liberty as a people when we enter into worship through spirit and in truth. When the spirit touches your spirit, the issue of form, no one cares about. That's why David danced until he became undone. And I'm not saying that you should do that. Please. Worship can be reflected in songs and dance and instruments in art. As long as it's for God, unto God, and my soul is responding to his love from a place of love. Can somebody say amen? That's worship. Finally, service. To contribute, render, and act from your heart primarily for the benefit and the goodwill of another person or people. If I then, the Lord said, and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to, ought to wash one another's feet. For I have also given you an example that you should also do as I have done for you. John 13. Jesus was showing them how to honor and serve one another sacrificially mark 10 but among you it will be different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant 
And whoever wants to be first among you must be the bondservant of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 43 to 45. We use our gifts and our talents to serve one another. The key here is the, the motive of our hearts. When we serve other people, we, we're being pulled out of selfishness. We're being pulled out of pride. We're being pulled out of ego and possessiveness and envy and resentment. And we're living in this place where I'm honoring my neighbor. Where I'm honoring each other. See, we're good in the Western Christianity of how we love God and how we honor God. But we fail at how we love each other and honor each other. We're not living out this principle. Listen, if if anything you hear today, I'll tell you something that is paramount to the believer's life that we're meager in. Loving one another. When we don't agree, when we don't see eye to eye, we come from different walks of life, different, listen, what Jesus is after. He said, how would they know that you're my disciples? By our love for one another. Why aren't we loving each other though? Why do we get out of here and, and we're still harboring that resentment, that dislike, that unforgiveness? This is the life of surrender. I got to release it. The life of surrender says, yes, God has called me to love them. I may not like what they do. I may not like what they've said. I may not agree with their lifestyle, but I am called to love them. But we pick and choose who we love. We love, he says, if you love people that love you, he said, even the sinners do that. There's nothing grandiose about that. We're called to love one another. And when we do, we posture ourselves to be able to serve one another. There are some, these are some disciplines that can help facilitate an ongoing process of surrendering our will to God. These disciplines keeps us in a posture of humility and yieldedness to God. God is ultimately after a life that is fully surrendered to him. In the, your outline, for those of you who have downloaded, I'm not going to go into it, but those of you that downloaded the app, the outline is on in our app, and those of you that received it in the room, these are some five tester questions because one of the popular questions we ask, people ask is, how do I know if I'm in the will of God? I do want to do the will of God, like Jesus said. I want to walk in the will of God, but sometimes I don't know if this is God's will. Have you ever been there? gives you five questions that you can ask yourself to see if this is God's will or not. And I'm not going to preach it because you have it in your outline along with the scriptures to read. But is it in harmony with God's word? This thing that I'm believing is God's will. Is it in harmony with God's word? Would I want everyone to know about this decision that I'm about to make? Am I proud of it? Will it make me a better person? Does it draw me closer to God or not? Could it become an addicting behavior in my life? And does it harm anyone else? 
the goal of the Christian life is to be able to say what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Such a life of surrender is pleasing to God. It results in the greatest human fulfillment here on this side of eternity. We want to live a life that is totally abandoned to God. If we want to live a life that we can walk in the fulfillment of God, if we want to live a life that is totally yielded to God, then we have to make a choice. It's a decision to surrender. I'm surrendering my will. I'm surrendering my ways. I'm surrendering my life. I'm surrendering my desires. I'm surrendering my plans. And you're like, well, that's a whole lot of surrendering. I know. That's the life he bids you to. Total surrender to him. The pathway of that surrender is a journey. I get that. It's a process. I surrender to him first initially. I'm abandoned to him. I'm walking in, you know, we got to get to a place where we're walking in contentment with whatever decision he makes concerning our life. And now I'm participating in his will for me and has his activity here on the earth. This is the process of surrender. And now I adopt these disciplines in my life, these spiritual disciplines to aid me in that process, to assist me in this journey of surrender. You know, one of the disciplines that was not discussed that we need to adopt, and that's the word of God. I won't know the will of God outside the word of God. I can't delight myself in the ways of God if I don't know what delights God. How do I know? It's in his word. And so I have to practice spending time in the word. And the survey brought out, praise God, that you all spend time in the word of God. And that's good. I mean, okay. But do we do what it says? Do we apply what we read? It's one thing to read it. It's a whole other thing to live it. God is calling us into deeper depths in him. God is called. We want to be soldiers. We want to be an army for the kingdom of God. No army, no military person is in an army without surrendering to the rules, to the commanding officer of that army. Everything is given over to that army. Have you done that? As I was preaching, what is God asking you to surrender? I remember being in that prison cell. The first thing that God asked me to surrender was the people who got me there. Had to let them go. Had to forgive them. But God, I'm serving time behind these people. Let it go, Nadine. But why? What about them? What about them? Because I have life and life more abundantly for you. But if you keep living in what they did to you, it's going to rob you of the life that I have for you that's in me. What's robbing you, church? What has gotten in the way? You've been walking with God, but there's some stuff that has gotten in the way that's robbing you of your current surrender.
want to ask you, have you surrendered all? I'm going to do an altar call. And I know some of you are going to leave, but that's okay. I'm going to do an altar call. And the altar call is twofold. It's for those that's making a decision today, and not everyone is going to be able to do this. God, I'm making a decision. I don't know how it's going to be done, and it's going to be difficult. I know that, and I'm going to need your help, but I'm making a decision to surrender all to you. I'm giving you my life, God. I'm not withholding my life from you any longer. It's not working for me. I want to put my life in your hands. I want to see what are the plans that you have. I want to submit to your will, God. I'm giving you everything. That's for one group of people. The next group of people, you've given your life, hopefully. You surrendered all. But there's some issues that has come up in your life. God wants you to surrender that marriage. God wants you to surrender your single seat because you're disgruntled in it. God wants you to surrender that wayward child that you didn't raise them like this, but they've gone and they've drifted. And God says, I, don't ask me to fix them. Surrender it to me. You keep coming and asking me to do, do, do. No, I'm leaving it with you, God. I'm giving it to you, God. I can't fix it anymore, Lord, because when I put my hand in, it blows up in my face. So today I'm making a decision. Have it. I'm putting it at the foot of your cross. Take the kids, take the marriage, take the job, take the career, take my attitude, take this addiction, take this wayward heart in me. Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm surrendering. I want us to stand all over this room. For those who you're still watching online, I know just make an altar. Make an altar. Those that are online, make to, listen, an altar doesn't have to be in a church building. Make it exactly where you are. And then right now, I already see people coming up. Good for you. I want you to come to this altar. Whatever it is that you need to lay down, I want you to lay it down right here at this altar. I'm not picking it back up, God. I'm not, it's not going back out this room with me. I am choosing to lay it down at your feet. I'm tired of going through the same motions, going around the same mountains, dealing with the same addictions, having things rob me of you. I am tired, God. And I'm laying, I'm laying this marriage down. I'm laying my single seat down. I'm laying this attitude down. I'm laying my children down. I'm laying it down. And for those that you see, I'm laying my life down. I'm laying myself down. Sorry, I'm getting emotional, but I include myself. Lord, I give you my life. Just begin to talk. I don't want you to look for somebody to touch you. Don't look for somebody to pray with you. This is between you and God. Lord, I'm giving you myself. I'm giving you me, God. 
You know everything about me. You know the stuff that I've done. You know this. See, we can look good in this church. We can come in here and look like everything is okay. But you know the struggles at night. You know the things that you're dealing with. You know the habits that nobody else know about, but God sees. And he says, lay it down. So they're going to sing over you. And then I'm going to come in and I'm going to pray over you. But I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to press into your heart. I want you to ask God to press into that pride, to press into your attitude, to press into resentment. You have regret. That's what the Lord just told me. Somebody in here, you're living in a place of regret. You regret what happened. You keep living there. Some of you are living in a place of resentment. You can't go forward because you're stuck in the resentment of what happened or what didn't happen. The Lord says, lay it down. You are not going to experience God more abundantly if you keep living in regret of the past, in the resentment of what they did, in the attitude of what was done to you, what was wrong to you. Some of you need to lay down abuse. sing that song over you and then I'm going to come in and pray with you. Whoever wants to stay, just enter in from where you're standing. Those online, just enter in from where you're standing and I want you to have in your mind open hands. What does that mean? I'm not holding on. I'm letting it go, God. I'm releasing it to you. I'm relinquishing this day you know the issue God I'm relinquishing all of it to you have your way in Jesus name oh Jesus
that are here at the altar and it doesn't mean that those that are standing are not surrendering so just know that Jesus says come to me all who are weary all who are weary and are heavy laden play behind me guys come to me and I will give you rest you're tired he says come you're weary he says come he says my burden is easy my yoke is easy and my burden is light he says he desires to give you beauty for your ashes and I know that sounds good but let me tell you something church it's more to it than just that. The step is you got to come to him. You got to make a decision to go to the one whose burden is light and yoke is easy. You have to make a conscious decision to go to him, those who are tired and weary and weak and you don't know how you're going to make it. You got to choose to go to him. I purposely didn't want to ask people to come and pray for you because we're so comfortable in people going for us that we don't know how to go to the Father for ourselves. God wants to get you to a place that you, you run after Him for yourself that you're reaching. No one could reach the woman with the issue of blood with her situation for her. She had to decide to get on her knees and crawl on the floor to go between legs to get to the hem of his garment. You gotta choose. You have to desire. You have to want him for yourself. And so today, even in this moment, what we're doing when we're singing, it's not that we're singing you so, so you can feel good to go. We're putting in, we're coming alongside of you like a cloud of witnesses. We're coming alongside of you to say, I'm cheering you on as you go, as you crawl on hands and feet to get to the master. Why? Because he have what I don't. He has what I need. And so for those that are here and saying, I'm coming to you because I'm surrendering everything, then cry out, God, I'm giving you my life. For those that are here that I'm coming because I got to surrender these issues, then cry out to issue and begin to name them. Call them out. I'm laying down to be specific with God. I'm laying down whatever the issues are, whatever the circumstances are. I'm laying it at your feet, Lord. I'm tired of me. Yes, I'm tired of me. I desire you. I'm coming for you, Lord. I give you everything. I turn it over to you. Yes. 
giving to him withholding nothing Sing it out. Can we lift our hands? Are we comfortable? This is surrender. This is surrender. Sing it out. That's it. That's it. Hmm. That's all right. Again, again, again. I surrender. I surrender. That's all he wants from you. That's all he wants, church. He does the rest. Just surrender all. 
sing it out. Don't let the choir out sing you. Yeah. You're the choir in heaven too. Ah, that's it. Holding nothing. Okay, we're gonna go into a final song, but listen, listen. The invitation for us is to live a life that's constantly surrendering to God. I'm choosing, y'all hear me? Y'all hear me? I'm choosing to yield. My desire is to desire Him. I want what He wants for me. I don't want my desires. I want His desires for me. I want to delight myself in Him so much that He gives me the desires of my heart because it's actually His desires that I'm desiring. This is the life that I want to live. I want to live a life that is submitted to Him, that is fully yielded to Him. I'm giving you all words. That is fully surrendered to Him. I want to daily die. I want to die to my thoughts, die to my words, die to my actions. I want to die to the things that robs me of Him. I want to die to the things that robs me of the joy that He wants to give me, of the peace that He wants to give me, of the love that He wants to lavish me. I want to die to the distractions of this world. I want the cross before me and the world behind me. I want, I don't want anything to interfere with me and my God. We want to be an army. An army is one that is surrendered to the commanding officer. He's the commander. He steers the ship. Lord, give us your eyes. Lord, give us your ears. Lord, may our words be your words. May our thoughts be your thoughts. Lord, we give you ourselves. We abandon ourselves for your will, God. Lord, would you help us? At times we're weak. We desire to do one thing and we find ourselves drifting into something else. Lord, help our will. Lord, shape and chisel at our desires. Lord, we abandon our emotions that are unhealthy, the toxic ones, the ones that don't look indicative of your truth. Lord, I'm tired of these emotions ruling my life. I don't want to be led by my emotions. I want to be led by your spirit. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into our lives. Lead us. Guide us into truth. We lay down our wills before you, Holy Spirit. Show us the way of the Father. Show us our idols. Show us where our affections are not on you, but on things. Lord, we relinquish our chains. We let go of the chains in our lives. The things that has us bound 
things that we're bound to, the things that we keep drifting back to the Egypt situations in our lives that represent the old man. Lord, we ask for deliverance of this old man so that Christ can live in me. Lord, we're surrendering. Can y'all say, Lord, I surrender to you. I lay down my life. I pick up my cross and I'm following you. Lord, I'm determined to pursue your will and no longer mine. My food is to do the will of the Father. So I lay down my life. I surrender my rights. I surrender my will. And I say, have your way. Not just today, but every day for the rest of my life. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.